0: KBLA Talk 1580. It is time for another edition of Freedman Fridays. And I'm glad you could be here. You're invited in every second, but I want to remind you that after our conversation this hour, the Freedman Friday segment, we go into a reparation conversation with open phone lines. So if you can't get in or you don't want to get in, you want to sit back and hear what's being said and then respond to it, I'm inviting you in. Also, you can uh, bring up other things you've heard throughout the week or things that you're stressed about. Um, Joining me right now, a man who describes himself as a reparationist born and raised in Philly, one of the originators of Juneteenth being celebrated as a national holiday uh, with his work with Millennial Juneteenth and the Pennsylvania Juneteenth Coalition. He also testified at the California Reparations Task Force, which, of course, you know, is first in the nation. And uh, he's been a community organizer and activist uh, since, uh, well, over the last 10 years. He's also a former legislative aide to Senator Anthony Hardy-Williams, who is the minority whip in the state Senate there in Pennsylvania. Khalif Alexander, welcome.
1: Hey, how you doing? Good to, I'm I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you in. So um, I guess let's start with the basic, basic. You call yourself a reparationist. What does that mean to you?
1: So reparationist is someone who wants economic justice and empowerment for black Americans. And our overall focus is to revive the Reconstruction era. So we call it Reconstruction 2.0.
0: And, uh, you know, break that down. Like, why why revive? Um, I mean, we know that the work of Reconstruction was unfinished, but why not just do another thing?
1: Well, I always tell people in politics... They go off history a lot of the time. Us as a people, we go off of history too, but we sometimes we don't know how to put that history into fruition. And when we look at the Reconstruction era we can look at just say uh, five years before 10 years before the Reconstruction era started, just say 1860 and then we'll say 1890. Throughout that 30 year period, we probably saw the fastest evolution of a people in world history. 30 years in 30 years we went from a group of people who couldn't read, write, speak properly, Uh, Just do a bunch of different things We only were good with doing things with our hands In that 30 year time frame Well we
0: were only allowed
1: Oh yeah we were only allowed to at (laughs) that time Yes you're right But in that 30 year time frame Once we were able to you know learn And we started building institutions of higher education uh, We started to uh, run for office We had some of the We probably had at that time The most elected officials In some of these southern states That we've had currently until this day Uh, We can even look at The evolution of inventions that we created So throughout that 30-year time period, we saw an evolution of a group of people who honestly weren't able to do anything, weren't even looked at as as people. So I like to look at that era as the job of Reconstruction has not been finished. And since we are uh, celebrating Juneteenth as our independence, as our freedom day, we look at it and say we go back to Reconstruction. June nineteenth, 1865, that was the day that... Emancipation Proclamation was uh, read to those people, and um, we look at it and we say, hey, look, these same individuals, they were supposed to be granted 40 acres and a mule. They were supposed to be granted uh, all types of land, different things of that nature, and they didn't receive it. So now it's time for us to fight for economic justice, just like we were doing during that time.
0: Um, I've had folks on this show argue, well, that was only supposed to uh, apply to a narrow group of enslaved people. You shake your head. Why? Why?
1: It's, it's been so long to the point now, whereas, though, say, for example, if somebody does give you that argument. Well, that was only supposed to be people who were enslaved, not people who were free at the time.
0: Or um, not even all the people that
1: were enslaved. Right. But now we've mixed in. We've mixed in with uh, people who families didn't own uh, slaves. But some of those people who families did own slave uh, who didn't own. Sl- Let me get this right. Some of those pe- people who come from families who weren't enslaved at that time, they still have the slave in their lineage. Or that person might have just bought their freedom and bought the rest of their family's freedom, or that person could have been free and lived off on a segment inside and had been free. But originally, their people who could have been enslaved. But we look at from 1865 or the original census 1870 from 1870 to 2024. Some, some, you got some slave up in your lineage at this point. So therefore, the goal is, uh, and I like to use Dr. William Sandy Darity's method. Uh, if you have one descendant on the 1870 census and um you also identify yourself as black within 10 years of reparations coming out therefore we can try to like get a lot of people who will try to jump in there and say well i'm black now no you're not so things like that
0: you're um you're on the younger end of millennials what drew you into this fight
1: i gotta send this to him too but there's a guy in philly his name is uh ron brown he um and I knew him previously uh, prior to 2019, but in 2019, I had his, saw him and we kind of, like, reconnected. He was like, hey, I remember you. And I was like, I remember you because he had helped me with something uh, before I went to college. And when he helped me, it was great at the time, and I was able to matriculate through college, different things like that. But one thing about this guy, he he helped give me an identity with activism. So, like, for example, like, when I started doing activism and when I started, you know, working with people, I would do, like, politics or I would, like, have different... I wouldn't have a, a, a direct focus. It would just be like, I just want to do something to, you know, help help black people. Like, I care about the community. I care about black folks. He said, hey, look, this Juneteenth thing is big. You got to check this out. I've been doing this for 26 years. <clears throat> and um, he told me, he said, hey, look, you have to focus on something in order for you to be great with it and he said I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna help i'm gonna teach you this june team stuff i'm gonna teach you the era of reconstruction i'm gonna teach you a lot of this stuff and i think you're gonna do well with it because you can understand information at the time when he told me this he said june team will be a national holiday i said i don't know man I, 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 You you sure he was like, yeah, with the work that I'm doing, that that he was saying he was doing, and the 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 work that he was doing with his team, um, and different people at the time he was working with, cause it's, it's such a big movement, so everybody isn't, um, everybody's not as connected, if you will. but everybody knows uh Opal Lee, Queen Mother Opal Lee, as we call her, but there's a lot of there's a lot of different individuals, and he's one of the individuals from Philly and from the northeastern area, uh, who played the instrumental role, so he kind of helped give me the identity for Juneteenth, and then from Juneteenth. He said, okay, as June 10th is becoming a national holiday, you have to look towards something. This was in 2020 after we helped make it become a state holiday. So we already knew it was going to become a national holiday. And when he said that, I I picked up a book uh, from Dr. Claude Anderson. And then that's kind of, it kind of drew me down this this lane of uh, focusing on the economic empowerment for black Americans. And then from there... That's pretty much how it went.
0: People, um, you know, one of the things that um, we are sort of unpacking here on this Freedman Friday is people's different way outlooks on uh, reparation, how we get there, um, what camp they're in, what these folks are actually doing to further um, this, (laughs) this goal of reparations, whatever their definition of that is. And I think we're we're getting some movement just in terms of people understanding where other folks are coming from, Absolutely. you know. Not that we're always going to have consensus. So, you know, do you you find Khalif Alexander yourself that it's important how you refer to yourself—freedman, Negro, black, uh, FBA, ADOs—I I know I'm missing some.
1: It's too many at this point. You just man uh <clears throat> i would say the names I, I don't really i call it name banging i don't really name bang
0: mm-hmm. or um
1: some people even call it ideology gang banging i don't do that uh, i understand every what everybody's saying everybody's saying just about the same thing some people just like names better for whatever reason uh, but we'll some
0: make the argument that you have to legally be called a freedman because it's a freedman's or You have to legally be a Negro because the original documents say Negro.
1: So, some, I'll, I'll say this and I, not necessarily the freedman or Negro. But this is just a blanket how we see it. Some people or even FBI, or Eda, some people have their ideology and their ideology just isn't right on just changing names and different things like that because there's a descendant group the government knows who the dissenting group is. And if you're writing, a lot of these people, they don't write legislation. They haven't written legislation. Um, they just started reading legislation two years ago and they're in their fifties. No offense to anybody, but this is kind of how like I, out, I, I look at it. That's why I always tell people I used to work for a Senator. I understand how politics works. I used to work in different uh, offices growing up. I used to work, uh, with on different political campaigns. So just the the legislative process, how legislation looks, a lot of the stuff people say really isn't true. However, For the sake of this discussion, the name banging thing, we just had to be black Americans. We're everything under the sun. But one thing I will say that some people may not uh, agree with some older people uh, that are outside of the movement. We don't like to be called African-Americans. So I'm one of those. I'm from the delegation of people. All of those people, they don't want to be called African-Americans, not because we're not uh, African in the sense of. Um, we're just—we're not African. Like we—we we are of African descent. I always like to make that distinction. Like,
0: meaning you're not saying that the DNA is not there, yeah. but you just want to be a distinct
1: group. Yeah. So like, what
0: yeah. do you call that distinct group? I mean, I think that's what a lot of where all these names come <laughs> from is—is—is is, is grappling to define that distinct group.
1: Black American, that was the, that's the best one. I mean, if you just want to go technically based off of... So we want to go into this new age of ethnicity. So race will still be a construct that the dominant society uses. Right. Uh, and we understand that. So we understand that race is a construct that the dominant society uses to identify groups of people. Cool. Now, we also understand that... In places like Canada and London, they use ethnicity. Actually, in a lot of places in Europe, they use ethnicity or, quote-unquote, nationality. So what I like to do is I say that ethnicity and nationality are pretty much the same thing. But they're
0: not. Nationality is what your passport says. Ethnicity is where your people are from.
1: So when you pledge your oath to a country... When you pledge your oath to a country, you give up you give up the quote-unquote terminology of a nationality, and then you fall in line to an ethnicity. So, for example, if I am a— You turn white? No, no, no. This, you turn—no, <laughs> white is the race. You turn no, into the well, ethnicity. Well, you just said
0: it was a construct. I mean, so I'm not the, trying to play word games. No, 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 no. I understand. I, I, this is a this pet is a peeve discussion. of mine. I feel like we have to understand the difference between race, ethnicity, culture, nationality, so, even religion. So, I'm going
1: I'm to I'm 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 break it down to you like this. So, you come into this country. The races are white— uh, African American or what they'll just say is black white black brown as they'll say but uh, even though Hispanic and Latino is an ethnicity <clears throat> which I don't understand but We'll just go for the, for these terms. But
0: Latino isn't an ethnicity. It's a generalization. Salvadorian would be an ethnicity, that's, right?
1: That's what it says when okay. you fill out the document. Yeah, I don't. Okay, so I'm like, we don't
0: need to go down the rabbit hole, yeah. but you know what I'm saying. No, I get what you There's a gray saying. area there because we're pe- lumping people together who are indigenous and European, Absolutely. right?
1: I understand a thousand percent. I'm just going by what these people right. have created in these terms. Right. And then when you go to uh, another race, it would be Asian. So one of the things is when we look at the race, when we look at the race... Ne- just now, they're creating these ethnicities that go next to the race, so that you can further on the uh, census. On the census, you a- know, college I mean, ad- college look, applications. Asian
0: is a race, but mm-hmm. in- the ethnicity is Cambodian or Filipino right. or Chinese. And that is not the synonymous, though.
1: But that's happening, though. That has been happening right. on recent Absolutely. documentation. Yeah. So, with me saying that, so you know how you just said that. Uh, Chinese or Cambodian is the ethnicity, right? Right. That's also their nationality. So what happens is... If they
0: live there, what if they live here? Or what if they live in London? If they
1: live here, they're an American, but they're still a Chinese American.
0: So... Their nationality would be American. Their ethnicity would be Chinese. Their yeah. race would be made up Asia. Asian, right? So that's you and, relinquished, you and relinquished. their culture would be wherever
1: what what they be doing. Yeah, yeah, but you relinquish how that. they live it. This is the thing, Black <laughs> Americans. We don't actually sign. We don't uh, pledge an allegiance to the United States. Uh, when we're coming to this country.
0: Yeah, because we were kidnapped and brought here. Right. Unless, but yeah. other
1: individuals, they pledge an allegiance, which means you're relinquishing your right as a, as a, let's just say a Cuban national. You're relinquishing that component of your life, even though you're still... Why? Because you're pledging an oath to another country. Yeah,
0: but you still have That's your That's like if you ancestors. go from Muslim to
1: Christian. You're, you're relinquishing. No, it's
0: not the same because, one, you're you're changing your belief system. The other one, you're saying, nah, my ancestors are no longer my ancestors. No, they're I still your ancestors. That's why they're, <coughs> naturalized they're part of here. your ethnicity.
1: Mm-hmm. But you're not a part of that nationality no more because you can't vote in that country anymore. You can't get food stamps in that country anymore. You've relinquished yourself as a national of that country, but you all your, your culture is always from there. Okay, we got
0: we got people. No. I think maybe we're confusing people even more, but I think it's good because we, have, good to, we have to talk us. about this. Yeah. We have to understand it. a
1: lot. A lot of people, they haven't they've said it, but they haven't really broken it down to the core. Whereas, though, I understand that ethnicity and nationality, quote unquote, to some people, they may have not been the same thing. But when you they're
0: the not way, the same, thing. but the
1: way how I'm breaking it down. You relinquish yourself as a national of that country mm-hmm. when you become. Be- begin- yeah, you
0: change your nationality, but you don't change your ancestors. Your
1: ancestors. That's why you are a Chinese American. You are still a Chinese person.
0: All right, we're talking with <laughs> Khalif Alexander. We had some folks here with their own okay. versions of um, weigh-ins on this. We'll we'll check yeah, we'll in get, with them, taking, yeah. and and I, you know, and we're talking about reparations, but this yeah, yeah, yeah. is foundational in this a is way. Foundation. And to so it. we'll continue the conversation, and we'll get into some more things when we come forward on KBLA, Talk fifteen eighty. <laughs>
1: She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More first things first with Dominic DePrima when we come forward. The conversation continues right now, right now, right now, right now with right now, Dominique DePrima on First Things First. First.
0: First. Uh, we're talking with Khalif Alexander. He is a reparationist, and he's worked on a lot of different things, including the Juneteenth holiday becoming a national holiday. Started out the discussion. I love the way you tied in Juneteenth to the reparations movement. We got off into this conversation about race, ethnicity, culture, and nationality because we were talking about who is that group, who is that special um, group that um, that is meant to qualify for reparations. And I'll just read some of these comments real quick. You can respond or not. I know we don't want to go down too far, further down this path. Um, George Calloway says we should build our case around the racial wealth gap, period, not names and people. Uh, Quamel says Hispanic and Latino is a political designation, whereas black, Asian, and white are not. Hmm, I don't know about that. I mean, black power is a political statement for sure. Uh, Ronnie Lynn says, Chinese is not an ethnicity and all ethnic groups that exist today broke away from another group at some point in history. And uh, Paul Lee says, good conversation. I don't know if you want to respond to any nah, of that, Khalif cool. Alexander. So how do you, uh, aside from our, you know, stimulating discussion, how would you define that group that is old reparations?
1: Uh, so we'll see did, uh, class, the descendant group um, or we could even use the term. Um, we can use the term "freeman." We can use the term "negro." We can use the term uh, "black American." But really, the descendant group. And yes, that the one uh, person on there is correct uh, when we say the. Uh, now we still use the term racial wealth gap, but we like to get a lot more specific and just say lineage wealth gap. Uh, so we'll just see the lineage wealth gap. Dr. Darity breaks it down. Uh, originally, it was 14 trillion. Then uh, I think in his most recent study that he did a few years back, it was 16 trillion. But we'll just see anywhere between 16 to 20 trillion dollars to to eliminate the lineage wealth gap between Black Americans and White Americans. And that's just the starting point. Like that's another thing about reparations. Like people are like, well, they'll be mad at Dr. Darity saying, well, if he's only saying 16 trillion, that ain't enough. But you never seen. Uh, $10,000 in one setting. You're saying sixteen trillion dollars is not a lot, but just you've never seen 10000 in your life. Mm. So a starting point is not the actual end-all, be-all. The starting point is just, oh, we're just going to have a conversation. This is how we're going to negotiate this, but the negotiation is going to start at this number, and that's going to be the baseline of just the conversation because we've never been able to properly define reparations to the general American public. We just say reparations, 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 and then, okay, well, what's the number?
0: Okay, so when you say properly defined, you're talking about a number. Yeah. Okay, I got gotcha. um, you. You have repeatedly uh, made comments about older folks in the movement, uh, people 50 just starting to read books or whatever, and uh, Professor Darity is not exactly a spring chicken. Oh, no, he's a genius. He's,
1: he's, he's the wizard. He's one of the wizards.
0: <laughs> what, do you, what, what is the generation gap in, in, in the reparations movement? What, what is going on with that? Do you, is it, well, let me not give you multiple choice let me well, go to your brain for that one well,
1: well what i'll say is uh some people they might have some people might have been in the business sector some people might have been in the uh, labor sector somebody some people may have been just doing other things right and there was like in a poli- political awakening amongst this gen x generation they they they've like redeveloped politi- gen
0: x millennials gen z right
1: uh, millennials i, I, I i'm a, I'm gonna focus on Gen X for this th- th- But this you're part. a millennial Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at the last the last tail end of millennial yeah 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 but uh that so that's kind of what I've noticed uh they probably were some of these people were probably were Democrats some of these people probably weren't I'm not 100 percent sure but what happens is even in the millennial fraction of the uh, reparations movement some people they may have not been politically involved. So what happens is when people aren't politically involved and they get turned on to an ideology, some things may be skewed. Some things may be skewed in regards to learning and understanding new information, but also breaking down information. Now, somebody like me, I always say that I'm a different breed because I was somebody who was taught politics at 15 years old by uh, somebody that was running for office at the time, who's now a current uh, councilman in Philadelphia. So I had a political understanding at a young age, but then I also had a freedom fighting spirit at a young age because I went to a a school that focused on Afrocentric studies and focused on really redeveloping the community, if you will. The high school that I went to in Philadelphia does so much for the community that it serves outside of just educating the young people. So I grew up with that kind of spirit in regards to understanding the people, but then also understanding legislation and understanding the political process. And I went to college for political science. Some people went. Some people didn't go to college. Some people went to college for accounting. And now they're done politics. Nothing is wrong with that. However, it's like, does is the, is the, is the guy that paint houses, is, he's the, is this the right guy that's going to fix my car? So that's kind of where we are with some of these different things. And I like to jump out and say, hey, look. I'm just being honest. There's not too many people that can actually do certain things that I can do and i'm sometimes i even tell people i may not look the part i may not look because some people say hey look you should probably be wearing a suit if you want to talk how you want to Nah, no, i don't gotta wear it so i like to wear uh this is a black owned uh black owned this is brotherly so this is a good colleague of mine this is a uh, another black owned hat so i like to wear a lot of black <laughs> black owned fashion i style it up whereas people are like that's black owned? i thought you got that from urban outfitters or zara or something nah, this is my homie stuff
0: so um What You say a lot of people can't do what you're doing. So what are you doing? What is the work on the ground that you're doing to move the ball on
1: reparations? Great question. So currently right now in the state of Pennsylvania...
0: You're gonna have to do it in two parts because we're gonna be in news traffic and sports in a, in a second.
1: Okay, I got you. So the first part is in uh, the state of uh, Pennsylvania. We are actively moving legislation to develop to develop a Freedman Affairs Agency uh, for Black Americans or the descendant group. We're working with. Uh, I just say, one of the uh, politicians that we're working with on the uh, uh, state representative Rick Krajewski. He's out of the neighborhood that I uh, that I live in in uh, Southwest. And great guy. He has a good understanding of what we're speaking of. And he understands that, um, you know, reconstruction is something that is really important, uh, not only for me, but for the people that I'm working with. And then also another individual that we're working with is the uh, gentleman that I used to work for, Senator Anthony Williams. We're working with their office to develop this legislation and really put this out there. We reached out to everyone on the Legislative Black Caucus. We reached out to everybody on city council uh, to even get this done. and what we'll find what you'll find is that there's a lot of resistance amongst black politicians. I'm not going to name any names, but there's just a lot of resistance to do anything specifically for black black people. So the Jamie Goddard Councilwoman Jamie Goddard from Philadelphia, she introduced the reparations bill and got it passed um, last June with some colleagues of mine. Um, from Encobra PHL, which is the only independent chapter of Encobra.
0: Mm, okay, well, more on that when we come forward because that's intriguing. KBLA Talk 1580.
1: The station you turn to when you had it up to gear with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. 1580. <laughs> Broadcasting live from Lamar Park, USA. USA, USA. Welcome back to- you home for unapologetically progressive radio. KBLA Talk 1580.
0: Talking with uh, Khalif Alexander. He is a reparationist, a community organizer, and an activist, also a former legislative aide to Senator, Senator uh, Anthony Hardy-Williams. You did some time, uh, of, a, a year of service with the mayor of Vista. You're on the board of Sankofa Freedom Academy Charter School. You're busy, busy, busy. You're also a teacher. You do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were talking about specific work in the area of reparation and we said we would do it in two parts so right. here comes part two
1: yeah so <clears throat> damn what was I? At?
0: uh um you're talking about uh the or- well first let me let me bring you back this way um okay. i i know you're part of this or i believe you're part of this march that's taking place right. in april explain what that is and, and what your involvement is
1: well I'm, I'm on the outside uh like i'm really just working uh I'm on the outside looking in kind of sort of like I just know a little bit of a few things that's going on since I have my own things going on. I just know that I'm going to support and uh, participate in it as much as I can. The reparations march. Yeah, the reparations march uh, that um, Rashid Littlejohn and a few other people that are working on that. But at the moment, I'm on the outside because, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. I have to reach out to them to, you know, get further information. But I, I am in support of it and I will be there to support those brothers.
0: Okay, so you, you were talking about legislation yes. and um, the fact that you were able to pass legislation, but you're still trying to implement it. Yes. Um, so what does that look like?
1: Well, it's a process because let's just take Philadelphia reparations. Uh, the city of Philadelphia, they passed reparations in June of 2023. I testified that, well, not testified, yeah, I did testify on the bill June, I believe like 17th at City Hall. And... Prior to me doing that and prior to the legislation even being passed, that was a process with, I want to say, several individuals uh, from different groups. Because there's every town, there's not just one person or like one group working on reparations, there's like a bunch of different people. So, what I was able to do in Philly is I, I found a lot of people who were working on reparations and we just all linked up. And we reached out to different like the fishers on our own time, and we just went to see how that worked.
0: You also mentioned uh, working with a an independent chapter of Encobra, oh, yeah. and a lot of people that <laughs> that consider themselves lineage um, reparationists, as I assume you are, because you keep saying lineage lineage, yeah. do not see eye to eye with Encobra.
1: So yeah, so Encobra PHL they're the only independent chapter uh, from the national Encobra organization. So the national Encobra org- organization they focus on race reparations it sounds crazy saying it on air but they focus on race reparations which that's what they're on the philadelphia chapter uh led by um uh Rashawn williams that's a good friend of mine um and brianna I don't, I don't i can't remember her last name uh apologies but brianna and Rashawn they lead the uh encoder phl chapter and they're focused on lineage in fact in the language that's what they're focused on me and Rashawn, we actually did a panel in 2022 uh based off the reparations uh show that we did on WHYY PBS back in two thousand twenty two. We did a panel and me and him were the strongest individuals when it comes down to speaking on lineage based reparations. So and that in Cobra chapter is really special because they're not like the national. They're focused okay. on what they're uh, focused understood.
0: on. Understood. So it's not that you've found common ground within Cobra. You have a no. chapter that's aligned with you. Why do you think um, why do you think that is? I mean, do you think it because like uh, for in California, for example, you have people um, that you would call race based um, reparations and people that are on the lineage side, and they manage to find some compromise and come out with a twelve hundred page document. With recommendations,
1: I don't know if they found compromise. I think that they just got outvoted and they didn't have a choice. They didn't have a choice. Like for they didn't have a choice. They, they
0: well, they- the reason I say it's a compromise is because, for example, in the California, the way the reparations set up, um, people that can prove their lineage mm-hmm. um, have advantages. You know, they get um, consideration, particularly around cash reparations. Right. But other people benefit from many of the recommendations i.e. legislative changes
1: I, I i could possibly see that i just think that and i don't have like i'm not from out here so i don't have the uh the, the full every grasp of everything in regards to like how they're going to produce the legislation but what i can say is the fighting the the fight for the lineage reparations in california was probably that that was a crazy fight because you had it was five four that some people didn't want it to be solely yeah, for the no, lineage. I know, I
0: know that, and and I, you know, I have reservations about it just because I, I always say this on the show, and I still don't know if people know what I mean. But to me, the idea that Black Americans or Negroes, whatever y'all want to call, be called, are going to be left out because of paperwork and um, and I know everyone says no we'll have genealogists but I'm thinking of unhoused people I'm thinking of descendants of people who escaped the system of enslavement people who've changed names for whatever reasons they're not on that census I've had people yell at me on Twitter and say everybody's on the census mm-hmm. no actually they're not some people went to maroon around. communities people did all kinds of things so I was con- I am concerned about the well what I call the welfareization of reparations where as a black person you gotta you know, it's like the apartheid system. You got to show your ID, be humiliated, and, you know, all the things they do to folks that are on welfare and, and uh, snap.
1: Well, what I'll say to that is this. Uh, that's why it's important for us to build these agencies and these uh, these uh, agencies or Freeman Affairs agencies around the nation. Because if we don't have that, we have no actual checks and balances on actually figuring out who's who and what's what. One of the reasons that those, that office needs to be created is because... Just say if you're a homeless individual, Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson, you put the name in the system, okay, his social security number is five two, whatever. Once you get a social security number, even if he was in a foster care system, if he's sixty years old, we still have his parents' information. The country has all of this stuff. Once you had a parent's information, you can go back to the census of when his parents were born or even the people who were on his parents birth certificate. Maybe, maybe. That's a fact. But the fact that. Well,
0: it's it's I just don't think it's that cut and dried with black folks in this country. But I understand what you're saying. And
1: but you have to have that multi multi-layer prong. You can't just say reparations without the development of the office, because to your point, we're not who's going to be who's going to be required to find the people who need reparations. The people that are gonna be required to find people are other black American activists who are and will be the people that'll be working for these <laughs> freedom Affairs agencies. Who would be empowered
0: through this. I'm I you know, I'm a supporter of the agency. To me, it's a monument. I mean, hopefully it would be functional too, but it's a monument towards progress in the reparation space and that
1: shout out to Stephen Brever, he introduced the legislation. Yes
0: indeed, our senator here from California. But I also feel like there's this Back to what you said about gangbanging, piece. Um, Alex J. Alexander's in the chat saying, No NAACP, no NARC, no NCOBRA, lineage based reparations only. How can one organization or one person with a philosophy say, We're going to lock out all these other people in the conversation because they don't agree with the way I want to do it? I mean, doesn't it make sense that we, you know, do something more similar to California and find common ground or find a way to move forward with everybody at the table?
1: Well, wow, I don't know um, how other individuals may feel about other organizations and things like that. But what I can say is this is the part of organizational structure. So when you have very little organizational structure, I mean, you, people will think that you can't do X, Y, and Z. People will think that you can't work with these different individuals. When we first, I don't want to say announced, but when we first said that we were working with a Cobra PHL, people looked at, tried to look at me like I was crazy. I said, do you not know who I am? Like, do you not know what I stand for? Like, you sound crazy even questioning me. And then as we said, and over a course of time, people's like, oh well, you know, he was right, Padrino, that's what they call me, Padrino. They said, Well, he was right. I said, Yeah, I know I was right. So it doesn't matter in regards to the organizations. All matters in regards to the organizational structure in which people work with in those areas. And it goes back to the beginning point what I said, a lot of these people that really have no uh civic engagement, uh community engagement, they haven't done any of this type of stuff. So if I disagree with somebody in the community on something, uh, I'm not going to say it's F them or we're not working together or whatever. Nah, we could work together. But I'm still going to find like-minded individuals, whether it's this organization or just black yeah, people well, that I mean, are
0: naturally, that's what we do, right? But
1: a naturally, lot of these people, that's not what with. they're on. No? What
0: are
1: they on? Uh, ideology, lineage, gangbanging. Like, some people, they just want to—they don't want to do— I call it the work. They don't want to grab the suitcase or they don't want to put on the boots. They don't want to have to, you know, go and do things that are, quote unquote, uncomfortable, because if you take people who are comfortable with being comfortable, when they have to go to an uncomfortable setting, they're not going to try to change or even better themselves like this could be an uncomfortable setting for me. But I've been doing this so long. To the point where this isn't uncomfortable, this is normal.
0: Everybody's welcome here. Hopefully it's <laughs> no, not, not uncomfortable. But
1: just speaking, engagement, and just doing different things like yeah, that, yeah, that could yeah. be uncomfortable yeah, for somebody. Yeah, for that's sure. a truck driver. No offense to my truck drivers, because I got some truck driver homies that's in reparations, but they might that's not what they do. And now it's like, we're asking you to do that, and it's like, well, I don't do that.
0: Okay, well, um, yeah, we got more to talk about. And, and it's not too late to get into this conversation, Eight hundred We're talking with Khalif Alexander on a Freedman Friday on KBLA Talk 1580.
1: More of First Things First with Dominique De Prima when we come forward. Your ancestor's favorite radio station, radio station and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique De Prima right now.
0: right now. I know, we're talking with Khalif Alexander. Um, and you, you know... You are saying that a piece of your work or a piece of the way you work in the reparation space is intersecting with hip-hop. Yes. What do you mean by that?
1: So when we look at hip-hop, we just celebrated 50 years of hip-hop and we highlighted a lot of the rappers, uh, but this elements uh, in hip-hop. And one of the elements that wasn't highlighted well enough to my liking was the element of consciousness. That element is supposed to it focuses on the poor, poor righteous teachers because that's really what hip hop rappers—that's really what they were in the be- in the beginning. A lot of them come from the five percent, uh, God bodies. That's what the the, the elements. That's kind of what it can come from. Even like chilling in your b-boy stance—that that comes from Father Allah. Uh, and for those who don't know who that is, his name was uh, uh, Clarence Thirteen X, Father Allah from uh, the Supreme Gods of Earth, and. And I know everybody probably heard the song Chilling in the Club my B-boy stance Or just even just posted on the wall Just in your B-boy stance So a lot of these things come from the conscious community But when we look at hip-hop And today we don't see anything conscious Or anything righteous We see a lot of degeneracy And things that You know I might listen to some of the music And I still listen and I like the music To a certain extent But I don't appreciate it as much as I used to Because it's it's teach it's somewhat It can tell negative stories of uh, black culture And black America <clears throat> So one of the things that I like to do is focus on the conscious element of hip-hop and trying to figure out a way how to restore that back into the culture. And one of the re- one of the things that I like to do is speak on, like I said, the things that are going on in hip-hop that may not be the best and things that we can work on uh, to make it better for it to last. And when we start talking about just owning the music... Uh, the record labels we're not owning the record labels we're not owning the uh the concerts we're not owning the media outlets if you start looking at things like complex that's not owned by a black person when you start looking at what's another thing uh what's this festival rolling loud that's not owned by black people when you even look at you can even look at and this is probably be controversial but when you just look at weed right let's look at cookies you ever the cookies you heard the cookies, right? The blue is the weed. is the is the is the is the, uh, is the Muslim guy. I can't remember his name, but he's from like one of those countries over there. But cookies is a part of hip hop culture, like that brand, because it's like a popular weed brand that's not owned by a black person.
0: Right. Well, that's one of my things that I complain about all the time on the show. Stop going to Mad Men, <laughs> and, because when 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 weed was illegal, we were mostly recycling black dollars. Now that it's legal, it's the, those dollars are going out of our community. There's plenty of black owned. <clears throat> we can talk about this. Gregory Call- Calloway says black owned is a myth. We can talk about that next hour. Um, right now, though, uh, you know, I, I want to talk about a little bit about um, this phenomena of, you know, you said black American is the best term, not in terms of like the legality of getting reparations, but the the separation or the pitting of immigrant communities against black black American communities or FBA. Um, it, some, some folks, some lines of philosophy are, are feel that it's us or them, like right. in terms of resources. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think there's a difference between saying, okay, we are a distinct group as black Americans, you know, descendants of enslaved, whatever you want to call it. But there's a difference between that and saying, we are not getting reparations because of immigration or that immigrants are um are the main problem for black people in this country which i hear a lot of that on twitter
1: yeah uh really what i'll say to that it just it depends on it's like basketball so like obviously you have different styles in basketball you have somebody has a beautiful style they might pass the ball a lot they might go to the bucket they might do jelly layups or you might got somebody that shoots the ball a lot three-pointer steph curry you might get somebody like a joellen b you got different styles right people have different styles on how they how they speak about this based off of their reality and where they're at location wise or sometimes just based on what they've experienced in the political sector so you might have somebody that's been close enough to the monies in some of these different state budgets. And let's just say a state budget or a city budget might be $5, $6, 7000000000 And they looked at the money and they said, wait a minute, the money gone here. The money gone there. So you might have people like that. Or you might have people who they might have seen their neighborhoods change over the course. So I just had an Uber driver this morning and he was saying that uh, he grew up in Englewood. And it was at one point 80, like. 80% black Then he said he drove By the same high school That he went to And he drove past the squeeze that said wait a minute Why are these people Not black no more So you'll have people Who have that reality In their mind uh, But it just really All depends on The style People have different styles Like today you heard me I me say nothing about You know what I'm saying But I, everything I talked about Was how I talked about it But somebody else They might have a different way How they're going to speak on it Because of their level Of experience Sometimes their age Sometimes their region So that all matters
0: yeah, I mean, but there's there's core philosophies in <laughs> you know in, in in any movement, I think. So what what do you see as the way forward?
1: The way forward, uh, and,
0: and, and let me oh, just throw this in there too, because you said you testified for the California task force. You've been involved in getting the Philadelphia uh, city one off the ground. A lot of people in lineage spaces do not want to, and and other spaces <coughs> too, think we got to choose between city, state. Um, the national movement, you know, some folks say H.R. 40 is, is you know, is, time has passed. Um, so what is the way forward in your opinion, Khalif Alexander?
1: Well, what I'll say about city and state reparations, even though I don't fully agree with them, and city and states will never be able to pay reparations, they only can pay atonement. So they can never do reparations because reparations comes from the federal government. That's the definition. But
0: no, Reparations just means
1: repair. I know, but the way how we look at it uh like to just say like dr clark anderson or even dr william sandy darity we just look at it as like the whole government has to do because the whole federal government is the one who did it the individual cities and states they didn't do the certain harms they participated in the harms but the federal government is the one who sanctioned it but in regards to the city and state reparations even though i'm not a, i don't really agree with them but i understand how movements work and things when i look at and this is what you'll probably hear from people and how they'll, they'll compare, but they won't contrast. So, like, I can compare how uh, different immigrant groups or migrant groups, they were able to receive monies at the city and state levels. And then they matriculated up to the federal level. Because all politics starts local. Same thing in regards to uh, LGBTQ communities. They received different types of offices. We had we have an office of LGBTQ affairs in uh, F- Philadelphia. And other cities and states, they have offices uh, for LGBTQ. And also, they have trans uh Offices for trans people too.
0: Well that's the T and LGBTQ.
1: Yeah. But but they'll have like a specific office for them. But the reason why I'm I'm now that's the compare component, right? This all started local. So when it comes down to reparations, I might not agree that we should have local reparations, but it's gonna start local. And as people are advocating or even as politicians, because politicians are money hungry. Or they follow waves. They'll see something going on somewhere. They'll be like, wait a minute. Let me try to do that so I can look transcendent to people. Because politicians are regular people, too. They'll probably see something going on in California. Or they'll see something going on elsewhere and be like, I want to do that, too. And there's nobody there in their local area that knows anything about reparations, say hypothetically. is up, up to the reparationists in those areas to reach out to them and say, hey, look. You can't do reparations without doing it this way. Or you can't. You got to do reparations with me. And one of the things that we did in Philly, we didn't allow that to happen. We we didn't allow a politician to uh, come up with a reparations idea of their own. We hammered in on them for twelve to twenty four months, and prior to that, even longer. And as we hammered in on them in regards to just giving them information or basically asking and demanding them to do the city reparations, we knew that it would become. We knew that there would be more cities and states eventually creating these reparations task force. And here we are in 2024. There's over 20 different municipalities and uh, states that have a uh, local reparations or state reparations task force developed. So now, as we're still and just imagine if we had just waited, if we had just waited, none of these, none of these task force would have been. Uh, they wouldn't have been started. None, yeah. of these task force, none of this stuff would have happened.
0: Um, somebody's in the chat saying you didn't testify in, in California. I got that off your bio, though. Who said that? Uh, Ronnie Lynn.
1: I don't know who that is. But yeah, I did testify. I testified in Oakland at the City Hall building. Like, <laughs>
0: uh, Someone else is asking when and where is the march?
1: I don't have the full details on the march. I just, it's in April. It's in April. In, in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Right? I don't know the date. I just support those brothers. So I don't have all of the information. But yeah, I'll
0: get it for you by the time uh, next hour.
1: I'm up. Somebody said I did testify something that I went to. And I have the photos and the videos for it. I was the first person, and this is going to be funny. I put this on Twitter. I was the first person to testify in the shiesty match. People said, why you got the shiesty mass? It was cold in Oakland. I didn't know it was cold out here. It was <laughs> December.
0: <laughs> uh. So again the other thing that keeps on coming up is party, right? And uh yeah. your friend um Rashid Littlejohn says party over politics, party do you agree? That. Yeah. Because it seems like the the MAGA movement and the in the in certain aspects of, of the reparations movement have some crossover. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what they try to say. Uh, I you know sometimes the propaganda. I, I be trying to stay away from the propaganda because I study the propaganda. So they try to say that. Uh, but then also if we want to take it person if we want to just be honest, reparations is the most progressive thing that this country could do. Yeah. So that's when we true. look at the left, we say, hey, Absolutely. look, that's the most progressive thing we could do. But then when we look on the right, as Dr. Greg Carr, he's like he likes to say he likes to say, oh, this is a nativist movement. So you have um, you have those different things. But it do- it doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter if it's Republicans, Democrats, Green Party, Libertarian, we're coming. Yeah. And it it's just the it's just the, the language.
0: I mean, I think that's right. Um it's my it's uh my reparations song is written by Rihanna. Okay. Be better half my money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I like it that really one. doesn't
0: matter what party. Um well it's a it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh just quickly tell us how to follow you.
1: So you can find me on Instagram at uh lucky
0: Hold on I, I didn't guess. find you I was looking for you then
1: my Instagram is uh, lucky let me make sure I got it right for you I just changed it it's lucky underscore leafy L-U-C-K-Y underscore L-E-E-F-Y and then um, I don't really get my Twitter because Twitter Twitter a dangerous face it is <laughs> it's not for the weak but y'all can find me there uh, and if you or for the busy if you want to email me I don't want no emails. This all <laughs> okay.
0: Leafy underscore Lucky underscore Lucky leafy. underscore Leafy. Khalif Alexander, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And the phone lines are open next on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty.